Kia ora and welcome to the Stronger Dads Collective podcast, where we aim to help dads be stronger versions of themselves as fathers, people, and in their athletic pursuits. Let's get into today's episode. Kia ora team and welcome to episode 18 of the Stronger Dads Collective podcast. Today I'm joined by Josh Sawa and Josh is someone who I've known for almost, you know, as long as I can remember, right back to the teenage years um, of youth group and our church rugby team and all these sorts of things. It's It's been, you know, quite a long time um, that we have known each other. Although, to be fair, I would say in the last um, probably decade, we haven't seen too much much of each other because um, Josh went over to Aussie and did a bit of a, um, a spat over there for a bit. Um, and before that was in the army traveling a bit. So we kind of did, haven't seen you know, that much of each other in the last decade. But um, he's one of those guys who, you know, is is very authentic and is someone that you can kind of trust um, is the way that I would describe Josh. And he's someone that when he was reaching out to me and enjoying the podcast, I thought, man, I'd love to have a deeper yarn because we haven't caught up for a long time. Um, but I know there'd be some good insights that he'd have. So um, I'm real. It's a pleasure to be joined by you today, Josh, and um, a little bit more on his background. Josh is a Samoan Kiwi. Um, he has one daughter who is 15 months old, and I don't think I'm spilling the beans by saying he has another that is due um, in July, because two months to go, I'm pretty sure that uh, there's there's probably a few signs <laughs> for anyone who's close to Josh. Um, he, is a, he was an apprentice, um, a carpenter over in Aussie when he was over there, and he's come back now as a site supervisor for a building company down on the Carpety Coast. So when I saw the name of that company as well, it was called Greenways, um, and I had a little bit of a lawn obsession close to the time when I saw him post um, that that's who he was working for. And immediately I thought that he was um, you know, running some greenkeepers company or something. But no, that is, that is the building company's name, I think because of a surname. Um, Josh's background in terms of his sport, the thing that I know Josh for, and there's probably a few more strings to this bow, is, is his rugby, his footy background, um, rugby union. And he mentioned to me before that he played um, rugby for Queensland country in Australia, which for those New Zealand folk, um, it's kind of like the heartland level, I guess, of rugby or the heartland 15 type level. So, um, you know, he's he's played at a relatively high level and he was always a good and, good and handy player back in the day when we had our church games. So... I think that's enough of an intro from me, Josh. Uh, what do you have to say for yourself? <laughs> yeah, cheers, cheers, Hayden. Um, thanks for having me on. Um, firstly, I'd just like to say thanks for your uh, pursuits around this this podcast with the, the Stronger Dads. I think it's awesome that we're advocating um, for some growth in, in fathers and just having that well-rounded approach to life. Um, mm. You know, we still have to maintain our own identity as, as being our, ourselves as men, as as, as fathers, uh, but also just leveling up. And um, to do that, we need to reach out to each other and remind everyone that you're not alone. Um, people have been having kids for the start of time. So mm. uh, it's nothing new, although it may feel at times that it's quite new and quite foreign. Um, yeah, it's uh, interesting to hear an introduction from someone else. Um, <laughs> it's, it's quite unusual, but I think, you know, stepping up and courage to start these conversations is, is awesome. So thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah, man. And I think like one of one of the things with the, you know, trying to get people on is um I think with something like this, it's easy to kind of listen to a podcast that is full of, you know, like big names, so to speak, or, you know, people who have achieved all these things. But um as I said to you when I reached out to you, you know, like everyone has a story. And like mm. I think everyone's story 
is intriguing and interesting and there's aspects of that that you're going to be able to learn from like they don't have to have been you know the world champion at this or that or the other to be someone worth listening to like um you know it'd be the same for you right you probably learn the most from those that are close to you like your friends and things and you know if your friends are like mine you know I'm, I'm not full of you know world rugby cup champions or um, anything like that in those circles and so for me like I've always been acutely aware that I think there's stuff you can pick up from everyone. Um, mm. When I was a teacher, it was the same thing, right? Like it's not just you or teacher, um, tertiary educator. You like when you're talking to your students, you're going to pick things up from them or, or think about things in a different way than you had before. And, you know, if you go into any environment and think yourself as the expert, I think you're missing Absolutely. an opportunity um, to learn from others. And that's probably one of the big things I've, I've focused on with this podcast is like there's a selfish aspect to it obviously there's the mm. part that I do you know share obviously these podcasts with other people but I think I've mentioned numerous times on this you know that a big part of this is me picking up things from other people you know especially around parenting but also about life right because we all have our own ways of looking at it and I think um, when you're stuck in your own box and just looking at it your way um, sometimes you're going to miss some of the beauty you know that you might not mm. otherwise see by you know, paying attention to how other people interpret things because the world, although we see it our way, like, you know, everyone has a different way of looking at it and there's stuff that we can get from that. So, yeah, that's my very philosophical start to, <laughs> to the podcast today, Josh, but let's let's bring us back to you. <laughs> um, so one of the things that we typically do at the start um, is just basically get a bit of background of, of where you're from, who you are, um, what it was like growing up for you. So, I mean, Take us back to to young Josh. Where where was he based? What was life like? What you know, brothers, sisters, any any sort of stuff like that that could kind of help us paint this picture about your background. Awesome, man. So um, I was raised in Palmerston North, uh, so that's the North Island of New Zealand. Uh, I've got one younger brother, uh, Jeremiah, who's five years younger than me, but thirty kilos heavier and probably <laughs> two inches taller. Um, so we're always involved in some kind of sport. It was largely rugby, uh, a bit of boxing as well. Um, so I went to Palmerston North Boys High School uh, for my high schooling years. And then during these years, uh, my father, uh, Filippo, he became quite heavily involved in the boxing scene mm. and in terms of the, the coaching and community side of that. And in recent years, he's um, the now owner of Zenith Fitness in Tremaine Ave and adjoined to that is the Snapback Boxing. <laughs> so not only is it a, uh, a program for boxing, it's also a community outreach, a men's group outreach, um, a youth a support network um, that is for every, every everyday people and also for the, um, the youth that need a little bit more support and guidance up to, mm. you know, the police. So, yeah, growing up it was... <clears throat> Boxing, rugby, even a little bit of golf. Um, I had to give up golf when I was 11 to, to pursue rugby because you couldn't do both. Um, and, yeah, it was just a routine. Two trainings a week, <clears throat> game on the weekend, wash your boots and, uh, and, and carry on. So, yeah, that's about it for the high school and, and sporting times. So when, when you were growing up playing golf, how, how, did, yeah. how did you get into golf? Because... That's something that I had no clue um, <laughs> that you had any involvement in. So was this when you were a lot younger that you were playing golf? Because I, yeah. I remember I had a little bit of a spell as like, you know, you know, in um, like sixth form at Palmy Boys, 
think it was they yeah. give you the Thursday afternoons that it was back then off and you yeah. can kind of do what you want uh, or no, yeah. not do what you want there's a range of options and Choose I remember up, back yeah. when Golf City was a thing over by the airport yeah. um, me and a couple of the other guys in my year we went over and we had no idea what we we're doing really I think you got a lesson on your first day and then it was just nine weeks or something of just doing what you want basically yeah. walking out of course playing golf um, so we I remember doing that but that's that's the most experience I have I, I mean I can still connect the club head to the ball you know sometimes when i'm when i'm at a driving yeah. range but it's not not always successful but how long did you play that for and like what sort of got you into that well i can't actually remember how i got into it but i do recall my father and you know his mates having the odd round of social golf and my grandfather who still plays golf mm. um he bought me my first set i think it was like one wood and four um irons and yeah. it was a, a woman's set because i was you know shorter yeah um and then i started playing at the Munnell two golf club and ended up like beating the other kids <laughs> with full sets of like custom-made clubs yeah and so they took me on in the junior pennants and <laughs> with you know four or five clubs um i think i did it for about a year or two so maybe 11 12 Mm. And then I was like, nah, this is taking up too much time for rugby. So I want to go play rugby. <laughs> we, we oh, had look, weekly... Looking back, mate, you could have been on the PGA Tour by now. Like... <laughs> oh, easy. easy or live golf, mate, getting paid a salary even. Yeah, watch out, watch out, Ryan Fox. Come on, mate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's interesting. I, yeah, I really had no idea. I remember when we were growing up, um, one of my uncles, he used to play a bit of golf and he got my cousin, like one of my younger cousins into it, Isaiah. He used to play a bit of golf um back in the day he um and it's quite funny because he still plays now but like in my head when I was watching that growing up I'm just like is he just trying to make him be like the next golf prodigy because I remember <laughs> Isaiah being this you know real little guy at the time like yeah. he was only a little child and I'm like why is he making him play golf like and then I sort of you know in my head as a teenager or whatever it was I was thinking oh he must just be trying to bring make him be the next you know tiger woods and make some money out of him like that was kind of my <laughs> my thinking because i was like you know why else would you play golf like that was mm. just the way that i thought at that age because you know rugby athletics those sorts That's of things are more exactly. important to me so i'm like wasn't he got a rugby ball in his hand rather than golf club <laughs> yeah 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 it's an interesting interesting one it's one of those games that i think it's incredibly hard to master like you can't yeah. really just turn up and wing it like you know a lot of other sports if you're very talented you can turn up and do fairly well, you know, like on a team sport. Like if you've got pretty good hand-eye and you've got a bit of speed yeah. or whatever it is, you know, you might be able to fake it a little bit, but there's no, there's none of that in those sort of sports like golf or tennis, you know, like you've got to have a pretty good um, yeah. bit of experience behind you. <laughs> so um, with the with the rugby in that as well, as you're going through boys high, like was that something that was like – people told you you should be doing or was that something that you really enjoyed playing and watching the game like what was it that kind of drew you into rugby well growing up uh my dad was always a rugby player um mm. he played for you know the senior a's around um around palmerston north and you know by nature of that we would go to trainings as kids uh, we would go to the gym with him as kids and this is something that i really appreciate nowadays because it's not that common mm. um and we were in there um, you know, watching him compete for uh, bodybuilding. So back in the yeah. day, when I was very, very young, he um, got up to the top five Oceania for bodybuilding. And um, it's funny looking at the photos because 100% natural. And, you know, that's, that was the example for top five. And the physiques mm. are so, like, natural, 
plain, well-rounded, not very dry cut or anything like that. Compared to today's bodybuilders, it's like, wow, there's an <laughs> obvious difference. Yeah, yeah. What's been happening. But, um, yeah, going back to the what drew us to rugby is we, we did it because that was our example. But then as we learned the sport, the rules, the physicality, um, the the aggression as young lads, you know, we thoroughly enjoyed it ourselves and it became yeah. a personal interest. Um, so, yeah, going through Palmy Boys, I was lucky enough to play in the first 15, uh, but our first 15 was was stacked, you know, so I was always the, the reserve hooker or the yeah. reserve prop or the reserve water boy, wherever I was kind of <laughs> needed. Um, but I still enjoyed the environment, the, the mateship, uh, the routine, you know, structure. Mm-hmm. We used to do the the six thirty or seven a.m. trainings with Digger Doyle. That's right. You yeah. know, and um, and then it was have a shower, go to class, and that yeah. routine was almost just as enjoyable because um, everyone was going through that shared experience of getting up early. And as a teenager, that was super early. Like, oh my goodness, there's no one even here. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Running around the block and and doing our our training. So a whole combination, I think, of what we'd seen growing up what we started to like as as lads mm-hmm. and then that that routine of hey we can actually see some tangible results from getting coached getting up early and you know the last game or wh- whatever it might be was actually good we enjoyed yeah. it and we were fit enough to enjoy it yeah yeah mm-hmm. and do, do you think like because obviously you've still got a pretty good exercise habit from what i can tell you know on instagram instagram's <laughs> not the full truth I'm, I'm sure we can get into yeah. it but, but from what i can tell like you're still doing um a fair bit of stuff do you think some of that discipline and as you mentioned just making those creating those habits early in your teenage years do you think that sort of went on to help you continue to do the exercise stuff because i mean it's one of those things that some people probably finish in the first 15 or whatever and then they might play some club footy, but, you know, alcohol might mm. come along or whatever it is, might might come and sort of detract you from some of that training. And you might just turn up to your Tuesday, Thursday sort of sessions yeah. and stop the other stuff because you're like, you, you can now type thing. Um, whereas when you're in that first 15 environment, there's a lot of accountability. There's, yeah. you know, it's, it's quite funny because it's almost like a, like near, <coughs> as near as professional as you can get with a 16-year-old to yeah. a 19-year-old kid, you know, like you there's the coaching staff you know you might have a snc coach as you mentioned with digger you've probably got your yeah. game day coach um and there's that expectation right that you're going to turn up in the morning that you're going mm-hmm. to put it in and that that you're going to get the the mahi done and then you'll play on the weekend and if you probably didn't turn up the training you probably you know if you slept in a couple of those days i imagine you're not playing in the weekend because understanding my palmy boys background right yeah. there's there's a big thing of discipline um so i'm just curious as to do you think that instilled something in you because i mean it could go both ways right there'd be some people that that, as soon as that is finished gone Gone, but do you think for you that it was a a beneficial thing well knowing myself now um routine discipline and structure is something that was always in me but i think it started to refine me and my habits Mm. um and being in that environment you know it was Army boys had marching, you know, on our athletics day, yeah. and it was it was you do as you're told, and they, they, you know they teach you, they teach you, you know, the values of respect and discipline, and you know they explain to you how that would benefit you later on. Mm-hmm. So um, it further honed my habits, my yeah. awareness of what's actually good for me, and you know, kind of segued into the military um, later on in 2009. 
but it definitely did provide that structure and, and the scope to to be a young man but also mm. hey we'll give you the choice if you want to play rugby this is what you've got to do this is how you will improve and if you don't adhere to this you'll lose your spot on the team or you won't perform as as good as you can so mm. Mm. yeah it's a it's interesting because yeah i just kind of think about that and i'm like for me growing up like i i'm someone who like thrived and enjoyed that environment of palmy boys like i i found the discipline stuff good mm-hmm. um as an athlete i was someone who <clears throat> like it didn't like i had an you know obviously to be good at sprinting you have to have some natural talent right so i had a bit of natural ability in sprinting but i wasn't the best sprinter you know i had to work to make that happen and so for me like i've always I think I've always been close enough that I could like know that if I put some work in, I can improve and I can be better at something. And so that's kind of made that important to me. Like I haven't had it quite like silver platter handed to me, like you're the fastest guy in the school, you know, like it's one of those things where it's like, you have to actually put in the work to get there and yeah, yeah, you're not the best footy player, but you can get better. um, Those sorts of things. And so for me, like, I think that's always been something that I've been acutely aware of because it was something that I kind of, like if I didn't put in the work, I wouldn't have probably been any good at sprinting. Like I still might've made an athletics final or something at school, but I definitely wouldn't have won anything. Um, yeah, yeah. And so like looking back at that now, I'm thinking, I oh, actually, it's almost a little bit of a gift that I wasn't just like excellent yeah. on my own, you know, to like I had it. to put in the work to get mm-hmm. to it, which actually taught me some of those habits. Um, and so that's why for me, that environment was good, right? Because I could, I could see that if I did put in the work and that was the same in academics, um, although to a lesser mm. extent, I probably, I probably had that advantage a little bit that I knew I could pass without putting in too much work, right? Which it took me probably to third year of uni to actually be like, Hayden, you need to really <laughs> knuckle down here because you're not going to get the marks you need to get into the honours unless you actually <laughs> work the yeah. whole way through semester and don't just procrastinate and then put it all in at the end. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's one of those things I think looking back, yeah, I kind of, I find that thing about Palmy Boys quite good. And I know that that's not for every kid as well. No, like, you know, some people aren't going to thrive in that environment. And that's, I guess, as you mentioned, you know, that was part of your personality and probably part of your upbringing. And I mean, your dad, mm. Like I always, <laughs> I, I'm going on a tangent here, but but with your dad, like I remember when um, John and I were doing powerlifting and I was talking yeah, to your yeah. dad about bench press or something like that. Yeah. Jeez, man, like I don't think I have ever like known <laughs> of someone who doesn't compete who just has, the, I'm, I'm sure that he said something about 200 kilos or more. Um, so that he, be right? his, last, his last 200 bench was only a couple of months ago and he's what, 54, 55. And um he with his health, I won't go into the health situation, yeah. but he should not be lifting anything heavy. <laughs> he should be on the front desk welcoming people, signing them up. And then he's, he's oh, I'm just gonna go clean the treadmills, I'll just clean the bench. And then you hear these plates loading up, and you're like, No, 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 stop. Yeah, yeah. like I, that's what I, I remember, like just hearing him talk about a 200 bench real casual, and I'm just like. Because that's why in my head, even then, I'm like, no, nah, it can't have been 200. He must have been talking about like 180 or something. Like, because 200 is a good bench, you know, yeah. for a for a fairly big powerlifter. Like, you know, yeah. going above 200 is is amazing. Um, yeah. And there was Filippo like just casually talking about it as part of like his bodybuilding training to me when yeah. I was this elite level powerlifter. I'm like, geez, my my like and 150, 160 doesn't too. sound so good right now. <laughs> and it used to be for reps, and I was like, are you gonna go heavier? Nah, nah, five's enough. Five's enough. <laughs> <laughs> oh geez yeah like he's yeah 
incredible man like your dad that that was one of those things i just remember like seeing him in shape when i was doing my lifting and stuff like that and i was just like man this guy is like he's a beast and Mm. you know you look at him and you think oh it's natural strength but as you as you've already mentioned right he's been doing it for years um it's not something yeah. he just come into overnight but i'm sure he had a good natural bit of ability um yeah, on that bench yeah. press because he's built in a way that that would definitely um <laughs> definitely yeah. be a strength for him compared to me and my long spaghetti arms <laughs> uh cool man so we're we've gone way off track there but we were we were near your final years at boys high um rugby talking about the discipline um, side, which I think, as as I said, I think for a lot of young lads, it's something that's needed. It's probably hard to mm. um, hard to accept when you're a teenage boy as well. Like, and that's why I think a lot of people probably don't appreciate their palmy boys' time at the time so much as they do when yeah. they look back on it five or ten years later. Um, because I think, yeah, you kind of realise some of those lessons as as you get older. You're like, ah, oh, this is what was being taught. I get it now. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I yeah. I went to Digger Doyle's um, memorial service a while back. Yeah. And, you know, I saw some of the old teachers there. Um, Mr. Meldrum was one of my favourite biology teachers, <laughs> and I got to have a have a quick yarn to him. And it was you know it was quite cool kind of seeing these these people outside. But even now, like when I talk to those people, it's it's Mr. Meldrum, you know. Like yeah, yeah. It was Mr. Doyle, you know, when I met when I saw yeah. him a few months back, but you know before he passed, and it was like <laughs> there's always those. Yeah. Like I don't know, you have that respect from from yeah, teachers growing respect. up. Mm. Yeah, you know, and calling people sir, that was always one of the things that was real weird to like your other, um, yeah. you know, people from other high schools, like that you'd call your yeah. teachers sir and <laughs> miss and those sorts of things. It was just a bit, a bit old school, I guess. I don't know if it's still that way. I'm, I'll have to double check with Sean when I see him today and just ask him, but I, I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, well, well, I hope it is at Palmer's North Boys High, and I know that some other schools call their teachers by their first names, but we won't go into that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, like, I think at primary school it's probably a little bit different, but I'd say at secondary school, for me, it would be very weird um, to call a teacher yeah. by their first name. When I was at like lecturing at university, at the tertiary, sorry, at um, Polytech, we, I would let like, people could call me by Hayden because, you know, I was such a similar age to them. You know, I'm only 30, 34 now. So if you think mm. that was when I first started there, I think I was like 24, 25 when I was teaching yeah. at UCO and I did an eight-year spat there. So when I first started, I was only, you know, five to yeah. 10 years older than than the young, you know, the ones fresh out of school. And then yeah. I was probably younger than some of my more mature students. Um, yeah. So calling me, you know, Dr. Pritchard would just seem a bit weird um, <laughs> to me, but hey <laughs> that is what it is anyway man you mentioned about um the military so if we can kind of maybe just wind back to that seventh form year at school when you look in your head and, and seeing what yeah. you wanted to do with with your life like what, what sort of led you into that path so as the uh, recruiters do they go around to schools and they have expos and things like that um and i spoke to one of the recruiters at the palmerston boys high library and we just got talking about what opportunities were available with the New Zealand Defence Force. And after a, a few minutes of discussion, uh, I was quite drawn to the Army. Mm. And yeah, so in 2008, I finished all my application, did my um, did my testing, uh, found out you know what dates the intakes were. And I think I only had two weeks off of um, the 2008 end of the school year, and then six. No, I think it was, yeah, the 4th or the 6th of January 2009, got on the bus and uh, headed up to Waiuru uh, <laughs> to start my uh, training. And so in 2009, I did a year's worth of training at the Officer Cadet School and then graduated at the end 
as a second lieutenant in the infantry. Um, and where I followed 2010 was a year of training to become a combat officer in the infantry. Um, and with the size of the New Zealand Army, we did quite a lot of um, combined training. So mm -hmm. I learned I learned a lot about um, you know the the cavalry, the artillery, engineers, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I believe out of the a few thousand, I think it was two to three thousand applications that got refined down to uh, about fifty or so. Um, that got you know were able to come on board. And then that got divided into the university entrance, the part-time um, selection people, and the full-time, so the regular force. And I think around 23 to 24 graduated that year with myself. Um, and after a couple of years of, of training in your specific uh, areas, then you get your uh, platoon or your troop, and you are leading soldiers after a year and a half to two years. So you, you were quite young, eh, going, like, because coming, like, I'm thinking of that as that's almost before you're 20. Um, yes. And, you're, and then you're, you're a leader of, like, a, a group of men, essentially. Um, and you're probably still finding yourself, you know, at that age, you know? Absolutely. Like, that's sort of yeah. what I think when I hear about, like, you know, jumping in as the officer, because if you could just give us a little bit more detail around what, like, what some of those rankings mean. So, like, because okay. I... I you know, just being not familiar or not that familiar with the armed forces. Mm. Um, I, my understanding is an officer is in charge of a group of people or in charge of an area. Is that correct thinking? And kind of just, yeah, if you can just layer in what, what that sort of stuff meant. You mentioned second lieutenant, I think, as well. Just maybe give us a yeah. little bit of background there. So a second lieutenant is the most junior officer uh, rank, and a second lieutenant is usually in charge of uh, one platoon. A platoon mm -hmm. consists of approximately 30 soldiers, yep. and those 30 soldiers are broken down into three groups. And within those groups, you have a group of privates, private soldiers, which are the uh, junior rank of the other ranks. And then you have a lance corporal, who's the 2IC, a full corporal, who's the section commander. And then in the command team, along with the officer, is a sergeant or a staff sergeant that assists you so yeah. breaking up the dynamic yes you've got soldiers to lead and then you also have uh, different roles whereas the officer may think of the tactical or the strategical output required of that group yeah. and the sergeant who's a lot more experienced you know within 15 to 20 years before they attain that rank um do a lot of the daily management with these soldiers uh, okay. so dress and bearing and what they will need and usually if the uh, the good officer goes off on a tangent, the sergeant will give them the look or the bit of a nudge, say, hey, hey, get back on track, mate. So, so <laughs> is the officer kind of like if you're looking at a management team, like they're the strategist, they're the ones that's looking at the direction of travel sort of thing. That's um, right. Rather than being the one that's managing like the day-to-day -day operations. That's, that's correct. And then in the event that you need more assets or resources, the officer is the one to... Uh, deduct what you need and then go yeah. and propose hey, can I request this asset that resource for whatever reasons um, and then the the senior officer in that task group or or battalion will say yes mm. or no okay so what what was that like for you then coming in and you know you've there's these guys that have been in there for 10 15 years yeah and young 20 year oldish Josh comes in and you know he's got a little bit of authority amongst this yeah. how does that kind of normally sit? 
um with with you know with them with you like how did you feel in that environment like did you feel comfortable were you happy in that or did were there was there any sort of doubts or like things in your mind at that time you're like oh jesus is a bit yeah weird to be in charge of these older fellas A, a lot of doubts um but me being me i'm quite systems orientated and so what we had been taught i relied heavily on that as long uh, in addition to my officer cohort yeah um, so there was only about three or four of us 18 year olds mm. um and so i graduated you know 19 and then had my first uh platoon at 19 20 years old and so a lot of soundboarding a lot of hard decisions because you know i was dealing with um, senior soldiers that were in their 30s 40s divorced two kids hey i've got this welfare issue going on and all I yeah. had was, uh, okay, just let me talk to someone. Um, and also my soldiers were my age. So like you and your uh, teaching situation, yeah. I found it hard to detach from the, oh, hey, bro, or how's it going? Because you had to yeah. delineate that professionalism, especially being from Palmerston North and Linton was my first posting. Yeah. Um, I'd seen these guys on the footy field or were mates of family, friends, and some of them we went to high school together with. Mm. And so drawing that line between professionalism, being authentically yourself, and then having to lead, um, in hindsight, it was a struggle. Yeah. Um, and something I didn't quite fully adapt to, you know, for a good five, five, six years later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is one of those things that when you look at it from the outside, it's kind of like, whoa, that's a lot of responsibility to put on a guy. Like that's yeah. probably one of the things that I that I think looking at that, with you know, I know I have no military experience, so obviously there's reasons that like selected you and any of these other young ones there's obviously something in it and traits and stuff that they see in you that is reason why they're willing to do that right they're not just going to chuck you in willy-nilly yeah, yeah um but by the same token it's still still pretty challenging place to be mm. um and yeah just sort of you know as i'm as i'm hearing you know you're like oh we got into this there was 50 of these and then we're down to 23 and then there's only three of us at 18 or whatever it was that you know you're going yeah. through there you're kind of like man like do you know why it is that or what it was about you during the training that sort of mm. gave you that ability to be or or what people saw in you to make you to think that, hey, he'd be really good at this? Um, what was mm. it, do you think? So I was fortunate enough to uh, be a recruiter in my later years of, of the military and I was exposed to the selection process and the, the candidate submits the application. There's a whole lot of um testing selections and then there's for, for officers in particular there's the uh, officer selection board which is a few days down in trentham where they mm. get literally taken through the ringer uh, mentally physically a whole lot of capacities are tested and then um, a big room a big board of very senior officers um you know lieutenant colonels and above have been in the military for 25 30 plus years mm. Um, they assess from their experience and their observations the likelihood on this individual making it past a certain threshold, uh, what capacity that this individual could uh, take. And you know, there's military psychologists, there's lawyers, there's a whole bunch of yeah. resource to identify the capability of this individual at you know 18, 19. Some of them are older, you know, in their 30s. Um, and a, a massive discussion is 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 had. But it's along the lines of, you know, leadership qualities. What observations, objective observations have we seen in this little example? If this was exacerbated um, in domestic operations, international operations, how would they react? Um, 
And, you know, there's a, a percentage that, that's worked out on how this individual will cope. And then from then on, it's, you know, are these traits trainable? Because there's some untrainable yeah. things. And then there's, you know, oh, that's a trainable, you know, trait. An 18-year-old is pretty malleable, can be adapted, um, as opposed to the 30-year-old the who's, mm. you know, back, back in my day, you know. So, uh, <laughs> come on, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And interesting, eh? Like, and then, so over time with you, being in that situation like you mentioned took you about five or so years before you felt mm. kind of I guess good in that role or, or comfortable more comfortable in that role like and confident that you were able to to do that leading what was it that you think like changed in you or that you experienced that kind of brought you to be in that place of I have a bit more confidence now was it just that you had been doing it for a bit longer and you knew that you could do it just time in the seat just get your time up, mm. son. You know, you gotta, you gotta take it. You gotta learn from it. Maintain uh, an open mind. Maintain the apprentice mind mindset. As you're always mm. learning, you're always soaking stuff up. And when you walk into a room, there's always someone who's a master. You know, there's someone that yeah. knows more than you, and they don't have to be older than you, but they, you know, there is a subject matter expert. So talk to them. You know, pass mm. advice. You know, humble yourself and, and ask for help. Um, and you know, as I as I graduated my um, officer courses, I was only at my unit for a few months before they said you're going to Afghanistan, and so I was. I think I had my 21st birthday in the middle of nowhere in Wyoming, and um, it, I literally I thought it was another day, and I heard my um, my commanding officer just ring me out from like, across the parade. I was like, oh no, what have I done now? And uh, he said, oh, happy birthday, mate. <laughs> I was like, hey, sir, thanks. I genuinely forgot. I've got to go ahead and finish these orders before our next <laughs> assessment. Um, and then the, the whole uh, company sang me happy birthday, and it was so awkward. Um, <laughs> but, you know, one of those key memories I won't forget because it kind of, um, you know, reminded me, you know, life, life goes on, but, you know, awesome, well done, carry on, and then we're off to the next task. Jeez, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then you – so you got deployed <laughs> – was it once or a couple of times? Um, I mean, tell us what you're able to about that experience. Because, um, I mean, yeah. for most of us, it's not something that we'll <laughs> ever even know anything about, you know, like we just, we see movies about it. And I mean, you probably yeah. watch those movies and you laugh and think, well, that's not, that's not how it is. <laughs> um, but yeah, what, what was that experience like getting deployed? And if you got deployed once, twice, where kind of were those places that you went? So the first uh, deployment was to Afghanistan in 2011. Mm. Um, I went over as the Kiwi Team 2 patrol commander, consisting of uh, three armoured vehicles and uh, 14, 15 guys. So it was a patrol yeah. size. And we were there for eight to nine months. Um, yeah, so it was a very interesting experience. A lot of growing up. I, mm -hmm. I see the photo of me getting on the plane and the photo of me back on New Zealand soil and oh man age like 10 years um <laughs> and how long was that between uh eight to nine months we were, yeah we were deployed over there and then I was deployed again in 2018 where I went to the Sinai Peninsula which is the slice of dirt separating Egypt and Israel mm. um and I went over there as the chief instructor for for training so a very different deployment. Um, in Afghanistan, we were patrolling, um, assisting the locals, assisting the um, 
the law enforcement and peacekeeping, essentially. The yeah. deployment to uh, the Sinai Peninsula was an agreement between Egypt and Israel, um, signed on the Camp David Accords since 1982. And there were 12 different countries um, that contribute to that. And I was the chief training instructor for everyone incoming to make sure that they were competent with their... So that was like their, a, all all countries that were sending armed forces there, or was this training the locals? Um, so more so training the militaries that assisted this effort ah, yeah, yeah. to maintain the, the borders and maintain uh, the laws mm. under that Camp David Accord. So yeah. there's about, from memory, 12 different uh, militaries and seven different languages. Mm -hmm. And so maintaining that security on the border was very crucial because we needed to make sure everyone coming into theatre knew their role, were proficient yeah. at their weapons. Um, we had to understand how their military operated. So the intentions of these individuals behind the wheel or behind the weapon were of sound mind, knew what their legal rules of engagement were, and they understood that, you know, we're not in the jungles of, you know, finding whatever we're not in the badlands our, we're not on the offensive here we're simply here to observe verify and report yeah um if any violations have occurred on the egyptian side or the israeli side yeah yeah geez that's yeah pretty <laughs> pretty big work you know like when you again you're still pretty young here like i mean you're only 30 what three now or something like that 32 um, uh yeah 32 now yeah so and this is all probably about a decade ago or, or close yeah. to that now yeah <laughs> must seem like a bit of a different life um compared to sort of what you're doing now like when you think back on this time absolutely um, yeah does it kind of feel a bit like that like you feel like that was a different josh yeah absolutely like it's just going through life you know everything happens for a reason and i'm like man if that happened to me when i was so young what's coming up <laughs> <laughs> yeah what do i need to be ready for <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah yeah oh man that's yeah that's real fascinating eh? so so when did you how old were you i guess and and how long ago from now was it when you <clears throat> decided that you were going to leave the military um mm. and what was kind of your reason for that because i imagine when you went in at 20 I don't know if it was you you would have been expecting to leave within ten years. I, I imagine you probably expected to be there for a bit longer. Like what what was the process that went through there and how did that kind of happen for you? So my intentions were actually oh let's just do two or three years, figure out what you want and um and go maybe university, travel, get a trade. Uh -huh, okay. Two or three, four years, five years, and then uh nine, ten years. <laughs> and I just I started to get disheartened with um, how the system was operating, mm -hmm. and you kind of get the you know the the metaphorical dangling mm -hmm. character. Maybe when I'm at this rank, I can have more influence. Maybe when I do this, I'll get that. And every year you get a small pay rise. You're like, oh, the money's good. You now let's stay in. But in uh, 2017, 2018, I really started to check out mentally, and it, it wasn't fulfilling what I felt is my purpose or my potential. So mm. before I was 30, I wanted to have a degree or a trade. So uh, my mother lived in Bundaberg, Queensland, Australia, and I visited a few times. I really liked the place, like the yeah. tropical climate, uh, the chill back nature of, of rural Australia is, is awesome. Um, so I decided to, you know, maybe move over and, and see what was out there. 2000 and December 2018 
I saw formal release from the defence force and moved straight to, to Bundaberg. Mm. Um, honestly, not knowing how things would eventuate, it was, it was quite a difficult time. So did you um, go over there with basically no plan? It was basically, I'm going to turn up and no. I'm going to see what I can yeah, do, yeah. what I opportunities just to there are. I literally sold yeah. everything. I sold my house in New Zealand, sold everything. And I was like, if I want to make a change, it's going to be big. Um, I'm going all in. And if I fail, I want to fail hard because it's just me. I don't have any dependents. Yeah. And if I've been able to live in the middle of nowhere in Afghanistan at like two kilometers above sea level, yeah, and um, crap in a bag and all that. I think I'll be pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> think you can handle a little bit of uncertainty there, don't you? <laughs> yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, cool, man. So, so you you got out about five years back, um, and a, a lot has changed. You know, you've you've got a fifteen month old. You've got a, a wife. <laughs> How did we kind of get from Army Josh, you know, um, officer, yeah. into Josh, um, the site manager? Well. In the military, especially as an officer, your sole job is focusing on others. And all yeah. I did was, you know, turn that that discipline, that routine, that intensity. It was I'm, I'm a hundred or nothing. You know, if, mm-hmm. if I, um, you know, play rugby, I want to play for the, the best team I can. You know, I played yeah. for the army team. Eventually, I played for Queensland country. If I, you know, in a business, I want to be the best business and see what I can add value to. Yeah. So it was very hard to transition that into me and to focus. Mm-hmm. At the heart of my command, I had up to 120 soldiers. Yeah. And so that's a lot of admin, a lot of situations. And I finally had time to invest that in me. Mm. So I had a bit of a, a lull where I was like, man, you know, a bit of idle hands here. And, and um, it was a bit of a hard time. And there was a lot of things I needed to process through. And, and I sought a good nine to 10 months counseling yeah. with the um, the veteran support over in, in Bundaberg. And it was it was literally transition counseling. How do I operate in civilian world where my standards are so high and we're struggling for guys to turn up on time? That, that did my head in. It really yeah. did. I was like, mate, you have a job. You've got this awesome opportunity. You know, we're apprentices now. Don't you want to prove yourself and how good you can be? And then they just go home at, two o'clock because apparently the fishing was good and i was like what <laughs> yeah <laughs> and they wouldn't get fired <laughs> so, yeah, they'd, they'd still have the job to turn up to <laughs> yeah so a lot of a lot of transitioning there um and then once i finally got my head around things um i, I got some clarity I, I regained my new purpose and uh in 2019 i met my now wife Asia. Um, so she's, she's Irish and she came to Australia to travel, see where the winds took her. Um, and through the visa process, she came to Bundaberg, um, and we met, you know, with the understanding that, Hey, you know, I've got my apprenticeship going on. She wants to travel and see the world, which is awesome. Things eventuated and yeah, we eventually, um, became serious with our relationship and it's been a very busy four or five years. So she didn't uh, go back? No, no. So she <laughs> she didn't go back to Ireland. Um, she renewed her visa in Australia. Then we um, started a partnership visa. And through all of this, we were quite bound by the COVID restrictions. Ah, uh, so yeah, it would have been right in that time. We, we couldn't do much travel, although we were very, very lucky. 
we got one trip into New Zealand together, one trip into Dublin, uh, to back to Ireland actually, we did a bit of travel. And then the week before um, the restriction started, we landed back in Queensland. Oh, wow. So it was like January, February, 2020. Yeah. Um, when that all kicked off, so. So when did you guys get married and all that? When was that, when did that fit in amongst all this timeline? Well, that that was the conundrum because we had so much going on and our families are all over the world, literally. Yeah. Um, we've got family everywhere. So we were struggling to decide and, and my grandmother actually said, don't worry about your wedding day, worry about your married life. You know, it's just yeah. one day. So it really drew some context and peace back to our decision making. Um, and so we decided, well, let's just plan it. And if it's meant to be, it'll meant to be. So we planned a small wedding in our backyard of uh, where we lived in Bagara, mm. which is a beach town of Bundaberg, Queensland. And you know, I think we spent around eight thousand dollars. We got a marquee, fully catered. Yeah. And then at the same time, um, Asia's family said, "Oh, we're coming for a family holiday. The travel restrictions are finally eased. We're all coming over." And it's like, "Oh man, that's kind of scarily perfect because we're organising <laughs> the wedding." Yeah. Um, so it was a very busy 2022 because in January 2022, my daughter was born. In July 2022, we got married in our backyard. And then <laughs> November 2022, we moved to Otaki Beach, New Zealand. Jeez. Yeah, so all, you've only all, just been back, eh, for a little bit. I've only been back for five or six months. Um, so, yeah, as I said, we do things at 100 or nothing. And uh, a birth of your first child, a marriage and an international move uh, are major events in anyone's life. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I'd just say, check yourself if you want to do them all in one year. <laughs> <laughs> be, be prepared. <laughs> Go into it with your eyes open, dog. It's going to be a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's uh, a, a few major, major things going on there. Um so so have you did you finish your building apprenticeship while you're over in Bundaberg then? Correct. Yeah. So I just went all in. I did um, you know, the, the four years theory and just over one year. And I finished uh, my practical in three years, three months. Um and I was I was very set on what I wanted to achieve and I actually wrote myself an eight year plan. Mm. Um and I'm in about year six of that eight-year plan at the moment. So I finished that and then already had my sights on the, the next step. Um, and wherever that opportunity presented itself, we were going to uh, follow that. Yeah. And it happened so to be both, back in New Zealand. So you both bought into the plan, basically. It was a something you guys – because you would yeah. have started that plan prior to. Yeah, funny, the first conversation, so, first so what, conversation. What was that like? <laughs> I said, uh, hey, yeah. So I went along the lines of, hey, how's it going? What's your name? You look very exotic because my wife's um, <laughs> half Irish, half Libyan. Yeah. Um, so our dinner table is always very uh, colourful every night. She's an amazing cook. Um, I saw your yeah. story the other day. <laughs> oh, man. With so the cartoon, good. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, we, we sat down and we, we had that instant connection and mm. we just told each other, um, you know, our, our boundaries in life. And our, our hard no's, our hard yeses, things that we may or may not budge on and kind of grew grew on that. So we sat down in a park one day, uh, would have been only you know, four or five months into our meeting each other. 
and we said, what does life look like for you? What does success look like for you? And we wrote down on a napkin uh, what that looked like. And mm. we've still got that napkin and we've, <laughs> we've achieved everything on it other than um, traveling to Samoa and getting a house. Yeah. So oh, that's that's pretty cool that you're both sort of on that same page and able to have mm. those conversations because I think that's <clears throat> that's probably a pretty big <clears throat> sorry excuse me a pretty big um takeaway I think from from your guys relationship and probably just for people in general right is like I'm always a big believer that communication is one of the most important things doesn't mean I always do it perfectly mm. right um you know to put that out there before anyone's like hey you know what's going <laughs> about um but like i think being on the same page as someone else and being able to talk about some of those goals and aspirations and like making sure that some of those things line up it'll probably prevent issues um potentially popping up later on you know like as if if you don't talk about the things that are important to you and as you mentioned like what are the hard yeses what are the hard no's like mm. especially those hard no's right i think that's a really important thing like what are the things that are just that's not that's not me that's not what i want to do that's not how i want to operate yeah like if someone's told you that clearly up front at start like it's like well okay i know now that you know that's probably not going to be something we're going to do and if i don't accept that especially because you've done, had this conversation early on you yeah. can probably make a better call about it rather than getting 10 years into marriage and then being like, oh, no, I really want to travel. And they're like, hey, like, I didn't mm. know that. I want to stay here. You know, like, it's kind of one of those things that you, you need to make sure that there is seeing a bit of eye to eye. I mean, there's always going to be compromise, right? There's always going to be mm. chatting about things and maybe doing something that wasn't necessarily as high on your priority list or wasn't as high on their priority list and coming coming to terms with that stuff. Um, because that's just the nature of being human, right? We don't stay static in our thinking the Absolutely. entire time um but so long as you can talk about that stuff and you can you know you're willing to do that but then actually yeah if you've already said no no this is something that just doesn't fit with with me as a person mm. i think that's a pretty pretty good foot to start on it's probably a hard one to start on because at that stage when you're infatuated you really yeah. like want yeah. this thing to work out like if they say oh no i you know I'm going to use a stupid example, but let's say that you love cats and they love dogs, right? Mm. And you're like, nah, don't want a dog in the house. Like I can't handle dogs. And then, you know, that rears its head five years later. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Very stupid example. Apologize. But you know what I mean? Like having those things happen in life that it's like, well, actually, Absolutely. I know that that yeah. wasn't something that was ever going to be on their radar that they ever wanted. So why should I expect that to have changed just because, you know, like you hear of people that go into a relationship, there's probably better ways of putting it. You hear of people that go into a relationship and they want to change someone. You know, mm. like they they get with someone and they're like, oh, this person's really cool. And their friends might, you know, have some warning flags or whatever it is. And those people are like, no, 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 like it's okay. We I can work through that. Um, and they want to change who someone is or change mm. how someone operates. And I think that's a really dangerous um, game to play because, yes, we're malleable. Yes, we're plastic. Yes, people can change. Mm. But it's a bit of a dangerous game to play that, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be with this person because, you know, these I like these bits, but I need to change this. Like, yeah you kind of have to take someone for all of those things and you know be willing to accept some mm. of those things rather than thinking i'm going to change this person because if they don't change you're just going to end up presenting it right um yeah absolutely so i think yeah that's that's a pretty cool thing that you guys were able to have an honest conversation about what you saw mm. where you wanted to go and i mean it's awesome to hear as well that you know what what do you say five five years in or a few years into it and you guys are you know, you're achieving some of those things that you came up with together. And I think having those yeah. shared goals, that's something for me, actually, that I'm thinking, like, shared goals. Like, I think that's something I probably need to, 
I'm what 13 years into marriage now but um <laughs> like I think that's probably something that's actually worth chatting to you know I, I tend to be the more um what is it like goal oriented or progress yeah. oriented one in our relationship so you know I'll be yeah. looking oh we could do this or I should do that or whatever and Sasha's yeah. like I'm happy <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah you know like yeah. like she's definitely the one who is is more happy to you know keep teaching at the same school whatever might be and here I am being like oh, I should do this I should try this and then I'm like oh it didn't work and like <laughs> um yeah. so Sasha's kind of good because she keeps my keeps my feet on the ground um because we have that difference right we're able to balance each other out in those things yeah it's um it's great you brought that up because um Aisha and I have this saying between us which I'll talk about values in that later on mm. but um we like to complement each other not compete and yeah. not compromise. Sometimes you have to compromise given the situation, but if you complement each other with what you know, I bring to the relationship, what Asia brings to the relationship, you know, we can just level up together as opposed to it's not my way or her way. How can we complement complement this situation with our, our shared experiences, individual experiences, to create a better environment for our children? Mm-hmm. Now, um, it might I might sound quite intense, you know, listening to myself a little bit. <laughs> but uh, both of our, our parents were divorced. Um, myself, it happened kind of my teenage years, early 20s, and uh, Aisha's parents divorced when she was in her young teenage years. So quite formative years when you think yeah. about, you know, the, the male-female development. And, you know, myself being goal-orientated, what do I want to achieve? How do I need to get there? Do I work backwards from that? What do I need to avoid? I'm very black and white. And then Aisha um is quite she can be intense as well but it's along the lines of a lot of feeling orientation emotional needs everyone has emotional needs it's just on different levels right Mm. Uh, and again i'll talk about that stuff later but i needed to get out of the mindset of it's you know goal next goal target next target today we've got to achieve this it's and asia brings to the relationship just stop and enjoy what we've achieved just look yeah. back at what we've done, Josh. Like it's it's so cool. I know we've got stuff to do, but sleeping once a weekend. Just <laughs> have have breakfast instead of meal prep from five days ago, you know? <laughs> I gotta yeah, go, yeah. gotta go. So, I, I definitely yeah. like hear a little bit of similarities <laughs> with Sash and I and that. I mean, I'm I'm probably not to the same extent disciplined as you. Maybe that's because I wasn't <laughs> in the army. <laughs> um, but there's definitely elements of that where it's like actually like you can just enjoy life for a bit mate. Yeah. Like, you don't have to always be trying to do something else like you can sit in the now and Absolutely. enjoy the now and that's definitely something I think kids are really awesome for yeah um, it's like you know when I was competing at powerlifting you know there's always the next number there's always the next whatever mm-hmm. um and if you hit a number it's not like it ends like it's not like you hit your whatever your goal was and then oh yeah I've done that now life's done I'm finished right so as yeah. soon as you hit that lift in a powerlifting meet you're thinking of okay so you know I've hit 270 that means the next one is 600 pounds 272 like and you know that's how your yeah. brain works right or you hit 260 and you think of that or, or whatever it is there's always another yeah. number like it's same with running or same with whatever it is there's yeah. always another number like you're never going to be finished so if you're consistently yeah. just thinking about what is next like you're going to miss everything that's happened along the way mm. so I love that you know your wife is able to keep you a bit more grounded <laughs> and actually enjoy some of that process as well as some of the yeah. achievements that come from the process right because I think that's yeah you've got to enjoy doing the thing um mm. but 
you know, like you said, you, do, you guys do want to be able to look back and think, oh, cool, that's awesome what we've done here. You know, in the short time we've been able to do this, like let's let's actually enjoy that. Let's have a, a bit of a celebration of that. And, you know, even Absolutely. if that's just sitting back quietly in bed, as you said, and having a sleep in and, yeah, and you know, yeah. just letting yourself soak in some of that hard work. Hey, cool. It's, it can yeah. be hard to do, though, when, when you are that way. No, is it type A personality? We just want to go and do the next. that way, yeah, yeah. Like, and as I say, I'm not, I'm not as extreme that way, but I definitely have <laughs> tendencies um, towards that way of thinking. Um, geez, I don't even know where we were at there, but <laughs> but I think we can carry on down this down this track. And I think um, one of the things I'm quite interested in, we're getting we're getting up near that hour mark now, so I'm I'm quite oh, cool. keen to get into some of the um, you know dad chat. So. For, I think you might be the first guest whose child is younger than mine. Um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> aside from Dr. Pack, who had cat children instead. Cat kids, um, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so so it's it's interesting. Like, I know they're still fairly similar ages, you know, well, not yeah. similar, but, you know, they're getting along part. They're able to start to do a few things. Like, it's, it's pretty cool. And I think that, for me, is one of the biggest things is mm. that's changed for me. And that's almost allowed me to think more about the here and the now is – those experiences with the little kids you know like when they're really young like and yeah. everything is new to them um so I'm just kind of intrigued and in how how that's kind of changed your life you know having having your little one and mm. that experience and for you as well having a daughter I mean it's still early yeah. days of having a daughter I know that there's going to be those teenage years are going to be you know Josh sitting on the on the front <laughs> porch <laughs> checking who's dropping her off <laughs> but um oh, you know, like wait. Like how um how have you found that change and how is that kind of you mentioned values I don't know if this is where that fits in but let's have a chat about the kids and then I want to get to the values yeah. wrap up as well. So it was a very deliberate effort to um, start having um, children or try mm-hmm. try for children. Um, our our thought process was uh, we're very family orientated. Aisha is the youngest of five. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, you know I, I've only got one brother but. Samoan extended family, everyone's your cousin, everyone's your auntie. <laughs> yeah, so I grew up um, in a house with three bedroom and up to 10 people. Yeah. Um, and so as a kid, that was awesome. There was always a cousin running around. You <laughs> Someone know, to a, play with. <laughs> there was a hole in the fence. So we went and played volleyball or ran to the park out the back. And, um, you know, we wanted to start our own family. And so having, a, having children, we both agree that they are entering our lives. You mm. know, we're not going to be revolved around this child um because kids are kids they do what they're told and if we are confident in ourselves and have that structure that will by nature um rub off on them mm. uh, everyone's a product of their environment so that's why we also you know along come children we want to think about work-life balance um, where we live that environment um and so it hasn't changed us much as individuals it's definitely softened me i'm very blessed and grateful to have a daughter first Mm-hmm. Um, because man, like the level of love I have for my daughter is just next to none. You know, it's just yeah. un- unreal. And my level of respect and love for my wife has just escalated majorly to watch her go through that process. And even yeah. more so for yourself, bro. Yeah, um, yeah. And even more respect for, for women. You know, as a man, uh, you naturally <laughs> want to protect women and, yeah. you know, do what you can for them. And that just like went alpha beast mode next level. I was like, man. <laughs> It's awesome. <laughs> How <laughs> yeah. good, you know? They they gave they, they're giving us their uh, children. Um, mm. So it hasn't so much changed us that much. It's just changed the way we do living. 
um, yeah. so that we can provide, have family time, not get caught up in materialistic things. And we, we live a life where we've just got enough, you know, rent, food, uh, a work vehicle, family vehicle. And, um, you know, we work from play date to play date. And what else can we do to develop this beautiful young um, girl that's mm. coming to our life? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, I think the big thing that I've probably found, and it sounds the same thing for you, is that there's a real big perspective shift. Mm. Like the way that you look at life, at what you're doing, at, you know, all of those different things. That's probably the biggest thing I think that I've noticed in myself is my perspective um, on life and what I do. Mm and why I do it like I think you become a bit more conscious around the like the bigger sort of thought process around what you're doing like um mm. yeah it just kind of it, it it makes you have to think a bit more and a little bit you know there's a bit more than yourself to think about now as well but actually like the perspective of how you see the world changes because you have those moments mm. um and those moments become almost more important, you know, like the little things. And you like, oh, you know, yeah. your parents have probably always told you that, you know, like, oh, you know, the, you got to <laughs> stop and smell the roses and it's about family and all those things. And like, you, you get it to an extent. But I think then you have kids and you're like, ah, like you get home and you're like, yesterday I came home at lunchtime and um, sat on the floor and played with a puzzle with Harvey, you know, like it had this little fishing rod yeah. thing that connects to a magnet and you pick it up and you put it in there. Yeah. And like, you know, he's just having the time of his life, you know, like <laughs> absolutely like losing it with laughter, thinking it's absolutely hilarious when he whacks my fish off the fishing rod, you know? Yeah. Um, and like, you then go back to work and you're like, man, like it just puts all of that into perspective. Like anything 100%. that goes like wrong at work, like, or doesn't work out how you thought, like, yes, those things still affect you because you're still human, right? Um, but by the same token, it allows you to kind of take a little bit of a step back and think, I'm going to go home after this. And, you know, if I go and play with Harvey, that can help my mind to switch off. That can help me to forget about yeah. these things and actually realize what's important and why I go to work. Um, mm. I think that's part of it as well. Like you can love what you do, definitely, right? But sometimes it's hard. And to have be able to have that perspective shift from my perspective from my point of view has really mm -hmm. been quite helpful again i'm not going to say i've always got that perfect right there's still times where i get frustrated with work or i you know might get a little bit disappointed with something and it affects my mood at home right that still happens yeah but as a general rule that's been a real shift for me <laughs> how have you found that 100 percent. so you know before um children it was a transition from work to home and it was almost seamless, but in mm. that, with that nature, I kind of brought a little bit back. So w what I do now is I, I really make an effort that um, when I'm done with work as best possible, I leave work at the door or leave work on site or wherever it might be. Um, so when I do walk in the door, I'm both physically present and emotionally present because kids are amazing energy beacons and they know when things are right. They know when things are off. Yeah. And, you know, when I drive up the driveway, my daughter's knocking on the, the window with a massive beaming smile and, you know, calling out uh, data. I want to be there and I want to yeah. embrace those moments because she's not going to be that little for much longer. Mm. Um, and at the same time, come home and be a family. So, you know, take the work hat off, put the, the dad hat on and the, the husband hat on because it's a team effort. 
hundred percent. And I don't want to, it's like, yeah, awesome. You're good at your job, but at what cost? You know, some people do it at the cost of their health. Some people do it at the cost of their relationship. Um, and coming from our lessons of life with um, our parents um, not being together anymore, we can take the positive out of those situations is learning from others. And mm. how, what do I need to do, observe, learn to help myself, help my family, and even keep an eye and help others to, um, you know, be a better dad, be a better person. Um, and keep that work-life balance realistic so you can continue to complement each other and not compete in the house or wherever that environment might be. That's real good. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's real good, man. There's some real, real deep meaning in there, especially <laughs> um, the part that pops out to me is when you mentioned about learning from some of those negative experiences and taking what you can away from those things that you might have seen yeah from what happened with the parents you know because my my parents split up as well they split up when i was in my um early 20s i think or mid 20s mm. it's hard to remember yeah, what, yeah. what time that was now because oh, it was, yeah about the same here yeah, yeah was a wee while back um and i always think it was like just the other day but actually i think it might have almost been 10 years ago now <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> um but like there, there is an opportunity in that as well, right? And I'm Absolutely. like, <clears throat> and I'm sure that you know, even even our parents, you know, looking back at those experiences, there's stuff they've taken away from what didn't work and why it didn't work, mm. and that they've probably seen there's parts that were to blame from themselves, there's parts that were, um, you know, from the other person. But at the end of the day, it happened, right? And yeah. we can't change what has happened, but we can learn from those experiences, and we can try and avoid those same pitfalls. Like again, we're not going to always get it perfect. Um, but hopefully um, we've taken enough away from those things and from the experiences that we've had in our own marriages and our own lives and our own, you know, like this time to actually be better and be a little bit more aware. Like I think that's one of the other mm. parts there eh, is like being able exactly. to take an, a bit of a perspective on what's going on with yourself. Why are you acting this way or whatever it is to try and change that? Because you've had, you know, as you say, you've, you've been able to learn from other people. You've been able to see what went wrong. You've been able to tell that they were focusing too much on this or that or, yep. you know, not not willing to see a different perspective, whatever it might have been. Um, mm. But, yeah, that was that was real good. I'm, I'm, that, that might be the sound bite, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, man, we're getting, we're getting close to that time where I kind of want to wrap us up. But you mentioned about values, and I don't want to get into the final three until we've gone through a little bit of that chat around okay. values. So I'd, I'd like you to get into that and just give us a little bit um, of detail around that before I try and um, get into the final three. I want to hear this. Cool. So uh, it actually works in with the final three. So mm. values. Come up with family values. If you're not in a relationship, come up with your individual values. Who are you? What do you stand for? And what are your non-negotiables? Because these will be in your initial foundations of your relationship. Mm -hmm. um, and our family values are integrity, courage, health, and family. Mm. Integrity, pretty self-explanatory. Courage, physical courage, get up every day and do what you need to do. Moral courage, stand up for what you know is right and don't walk past things if you need to address things. If it's mm -hmm. in your relationship, communication, have the moral courage to say how you're feeling and be constructive. Health, all the aspects of health, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. It's just like a, a chair with four legs. If one of those is out, or if all four are at two different levels, you could potentially sit on a chair you know, with four different uh, legs, but if one of them is way too out, you're going to be falling over. 
and mm. it's one of those key things to address um and family like you can't choose your family um identify you know what it is that you need to be aware of but also understand that when you are in a marriage or you know, when you are in a marriage you become one and um, you're separated from your mother and father and you are one so really protect that respect that appreciate that and enjoy that like it's so blessed mm -hmm. to have to have that marriage you know and that that union of of man and woman uh, to begin your new life as, as a family so integrity courage health and family these principles or values are what defines um, our decisions and if we make decisions that uh, are not aligning with these values then we're detracting from us as a husband and wife and we're detracting from where our family wants to head so you're doing your family a disservice and decisions become so much more clear when you have children when you have these values because it gives you a structure yeah you know to to keep yourself accountable and keep yourself on track whether it's your own demons you're, you're fighting with or something external that may be testing your your little unit um, it just gives you that structure and awareness of where you should be going cool man that's good that's good i, I know you've probably heard me talk about my three yeah um, on an early that. episode so i won't get into those you know if people want to listen to that i think it was in the first episode yeah. so feel free but yeah, yeah i have quite a i find that quite a similar thing and as i think about it now i'm like hayden why haven't you been thinking more about these in the last few months with some of the work stuff like <laughs> <laughs> could have been helping yourself here um but you know like the i think those things are it is really useful to have like thought about this um to have some things that are sort of key guiding principles like they don't have to be exact things right they're more yeah. ways of looking at the world at situations at um where you want to go it doesn't have to be specific i need to do this by this by this right i find no, that no. that's the benefit of it it gives you a framework um but it doesn't confine um what you do it more guides the choices that you make which Absolutely. i think is is kind of the real benefit of that as you say around clarity um and mm. when you have to make a harder decision or you're trying to figure out what you should do it just helps to guide you and nudge you in the right direction um because I'm, I'm always of the opinion that there's not always just one right thing or one right path for you you know like yeah um you know you might start off down a path and you think that this is you know your career for the rest of your life or whatever and then something changes um and so that's always made me be a little bit more plastic and malleable that actually yep you can do this thing but it doesn't mean you have to do it like forever you know like if i yeah. do you know, further study in an area that doesn't mean you have to stay in that career field for the rest of your life you could and you might um, yeah. but don't limit yourself just because of that um mm. unless you've made obviously a hard commitment to something or someone um honor that yeah. commitment <laughs> yeah <laughs> just want to get that in there when i'm saying you can change things like honor <laughs> the commitments you make as well you know as best as you yeah. can um so yeah anyway let's let's get into those final three i know that your you know the values might be part of one of these as you've indicated um but let's get into those so um the first one that we have there is a key parenting tip um or word of advice for a dad who's in their first few years um so your situation at the moment basically mate. like what's a key tip or piece of advice that would help someone like yourself okay so again as i was saying before um you know your your child comes into your life and so my um, key tip would be a weekly structure have those things to maintain your relationship with all your family members and your friends um, so for us we have um, marriage monday 
regardless of what's going on after baby's down we have a chat how are we going how are we going as a team what's the week got for us and it it maintains that um that closeness the intimate closeness that we're not just going through the rigmarole um i also have boundaries for my fitness so monday wednesday friday um i go to kiwi crossfit in paraparumu and that keeps me um you know physically fit and also mentally clear as well and then we have our weekend routine so whatever your routine is have that structure so you don't lose yourself Mm. Um, you don't lose your relationship and you don't lose connection with your your blessing of children yeah yeah that's good man Mm. that's good um second one there is the most helpful new habit um or it could just be you know like something that you've changed but new habit something that you do regularly um that you've implemented within the past sort of year time frame or recent relatively recently doesn't have to be parenting doesn't have to be training um well i've just got back into meal prep so proper nutrition and it's amazing uh, how much that affects the function of your brain your, your physical function getting the quality calories in um and it actually helps you financially so if you know <laughs> i was what about to say inflation is yeah. pretty high you're probably actually finding that it's oh, helpful yeah. stopping you buying takeaways and stuff during the day so i've been i've been banned from doing groceries so we have to do <laughs> click and collect um <laughs> do, do you stop at the treats too much <laughs> oh i stop at everything and i'm not allowed to go i'm not allowed to go grocery shopping while i'm hungry or else we end up with two carts full not just the one um so yeah, meal prep, and that covers a range of things. Uh, it helps you, you know, mentally, uh, physically, and just function a little bit more uh, optimum, mm. I suppose. Cool, man. That's I think that's a good one, and that's something that when I was a bit more serious in my training, I probably was a little bit better at most, yeah, you know, most of the time, not all of the time. Um, there were periods of time where I was just trying to get as heavy as I could, you know, and yeah. that, that was obviously a different um, objective. Max calories. Cool, man. That's a good one. And I, yeah, I especially think with that, you know, people often talk about how eating healthy is more expensive, but I actually think yeah. when you, when you plan it well and you buy it, th- like, I mean, I've, I've meal prepped before and my sort of key thing has been like, you know, some staple carb, normally rice. That's pretty cheap. Yep. You know, yeah. chicken breast, generally you can get a, a, a chicken breast or chicken thigh and you can get mm-hmm. it on special, you know, whichever one of those two is on special, they normally alternate at the supermarket. Yeah. So either the thigh or the breast will be on special. Um, yeah. You buy the one that's on special and you buy a couple of kilos of it. So it's, you know, bulk pack. Um, <laughs> and then you might get some frozen beans or something. Man. Like, that's literally how yeah, that's, that I would meal prep. And then I might chuck like yeah. a bit of soy sauce or some sweet chili or something on there that, that works. Honestly, yeah. man, that is not more expensive than going and buying a Mac tech you know, from from well, McDonald's or even the Macca's deal, like it's going to be relatively similar. I think I worked it out. Yeah. When I figured like, and it was it was between three and six dollars, depending on you know how much you had to pay for the meat and how much meat you put in. Like it was a relatively cheap, yeah, process. You know, yes, you can get a special from Macca's for six bucks or something, but it's going to be a pretty similar thing. Um, but it's the time, right, and the admin yeah. and the planning um, that I think is the real yeah. challenge there, and probably the real cost to it, right? Is having to invest yeah. that. Well, um, you either pay for health or you pay for your medical bills, depending <laughs> how you want to see it. Yeah. Uh, especially when you get to the pointy end after years of a good habit or years of a bad habit, uh, the cost might not be financial, but it might be your health and um, how you function for yourself and your family. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just wanted to, while well, you mentioned meal prep, I wanted to make sure that people know that you can actually. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> it doesn't have to be exotic. It doesn't have to be crazy, nice, you know, different yeah. meals you know slap some rice in the rice cooker 
bake yeah. a bit of chicken breast and chuck some frozen veggies when you whack it in the microwave the veggies are cooked done anyway yeah. i'm a simple man and some people don't look at food Same here. <laughs> my my meals at dinner time are the nice ones right when when yeah. it's not me cooking when it's sash cooking which is thankfully more often than not because she is the far far superior cook um and that's probably why she prefers to cook because then she doesn't have to eat my cooking anyway <laughs> the, the last one of these final three mate is a book or podcast recommendation so thinking holistically um the book recommendation i have uh, the five love languages by dr gary chapman mm. um if you have or haven't um, heard about it it's something you can read over and over the more things you go through in life and it brings more context or perspective so um yeah, the five love languages cover off on um, physical touch, gifts of giving, words of affirmation, acts of service, and quality time. And it's the emotional level, how you interact with everyone around you. It's targeted mm. at uh, married couples uh, to enhance that relationship and keep you on track. Um, but you can also get more out of it because it improves your personal relationships. Uh, it improves your comprehension of personal experiences you know, of yourself back in the day. Um, and it also gives you a better understanding of, of people in general and how to bring out the best out of them. Mm. Um, so it's, it, it is on the emotional scale, but yeah, that would be my recommendation for uh, a whole range of reasons, but definitely check it out. And my wife and I are currently going through the love languages for children. Which is I was another... going to say, there's a few different. Yeah, um, there's a few. I've applied it to a few different like age groups and situations and stuff as well. Um, yeah. and there's like, I think it's pretty easy as well. Like if someone isn't necessarily going to read a book, like I reckon it's worth jumping online and doing these like quizzes you can find, yep. um, that just help you to identify what your love language is and then get, you know, your partner or significant other to do, to do that as well. And then you can kind of, it does help to identify sometimes when there's friction happening and you're not understanding why you're not, you know, yeah. what it is that's causing those frustrations. Sometimes it is just the fact that Sash likes gifts. I didn't even think twice about gifts, for instance. Um, yeah. And, you know, being able to identify those things, I think, is a, is really helpful, as you mentioned, for being able to understand um, what's going on. What's going on. Yeah. Especially to us uh, solution-orientated, <laughs> just logical-minded males. Yeah, yeah, goal-driven. Oh, we're, no, we're trying to get to here. We don't need to think about that. Hey, mate, just stop. Yeah, 100%. Quality time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool, man. Um, any podcast? Podcast. I do like uh, some of the Jordan Peterson podcasts. Mm. Um, I like his approach to situations and how he uh, extracts the, the point of it all. Once all the, the nash and the emotions and all that is out of it, I, mm. I like how he's able to really get to the point. Um, I won't go over some of the topics that he's talking about at the moment, but I appreciate his approach uh, in general. So, yeah, yeah, the Dr. Jordan Peterson. Cool, man. Thanks so much for your time, Josh. It's been a, a real good chat. And I told you at the start, right, before we started that uh, sometimes you'll you'll find yourself looking at the clock and you're like, geez. Um, yeah. and, and we're coming up to an hour 20 here. So wow. Um, wow. we definitely had some some good yarns today. So, yeah, really appreciate you making time for me on a, on a Saturday morning. Um, and as I mentioned to you before, I'll be getting this one out pretty quick today because I missed my Friday, but I still count this as the same week. Um, so, <laughs> so this one will be out today. But yeah, thanks so much for coming on. I really do appreciate your time, man. Awesome. Um, am I able to just say one more thing? Oh, yeah. Sorry, I didn't even give you a chance to add anything that you want to add. Like before we got into the final three, that's normally where I put that bit. 
No, I'm going to blame honestly, the just had, the, had my coffee before we started, so you know it might not have fully kicked in. <laughs> sweet as. Yeah, just one brief one. I just want to really honour my parents. Um, mm. you know, they were young young men and uh, young people when they had me, 18 and 21. Yeah. Um, and I love my parents and have an awesome relationship with them both. I just want to honour them and everything they did. Um, and Dad, obviously being a, a, a Stronger Dad's podcast, um, take it easy on the bench. Um, <laughs> love you heaps. See you around. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Stronger Dads Collective podcast. If you gained anything of value, please go ahead and share this episode with someone else that you think may benefit from its content. Also, feel free to follow me on Instagram at HJP underscore Stronger Dads. That's at HJP underscore Stronger Dads. We'll see you on the next one.